everybody. This is Evan Brand. I'm the host of Not Just Paleo. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm really happy you took time to slow your busy life down and click download or listen on this podcast. Wherever you are in the world, I know there's a million things grabbing at your attention constantly, and it seems like it increases every week, even for myself. And so uh, that's one reason I still don't have a personal Facebook page. I simply wouldn't be as productive with getting out content for you all if I did have one. Uh, I, I just look around and see everybody so consumed by it. And a lot of you all actually come to my podcast from Facebook. So thanks for using social media to your advantage. And thanks for using these technological devices to actually better your life as opposed to just participate like a zombie like the majority uh, does. So today we're talking with Dr. Rodney Ford, and he is an expert on gluten, and this is by far one of the best podcasts that I've had. Uh, and I got some really, really awesome ones that I've recorded this week also that will be coming up. Martin Zucker, the co-author of a book called Earthing, The Most Important Discovery Ever, And then uh, after that, we have Mark Sisson coming on the podcast. So it should be really, really awesome. And I hope you all will stick around in the next couple of weeks for those also. Uh, The book, Rim Rehab, you've been asking about the book. The book's almost done. Editing process is still underway. My buddy Kevin Geary from Rebooted Body, he is still adding some pictures and making it look beautiful because he is a design guy that's his thing so head over to rim rehab rem rehab.com and check it out thanks for listening and are you grain free or gluten free uh i'm gluten you've gone down the grain free yeah i've I've done grain free for a little bit but i'm just i'm so physical and uh it's really hard for me to operate completely grain free so i'll do maybe a fourth a cup of white rice you know, on the days that I do eat grains. And white rice hasn't bothered me too much, but if you want to, you know, teach people about rice and stuff, and, you know, if grain-free is is more beneficial than gluten-free, then we could definitely do that. Well, uh, it depends. Everyone's their own body, and it's a big step for a lot of people to go gluten-free, let alone quit grains entirely. So the majority of gluten-free lifestyle people do eat the alternative grains and seeds obviously in quinoa yeah but uh it there's a spectrum and often people will go down the spectrum and start gluten zero and they well gluten free then go, go gluten zero and if they're not quite better then they might begin to um, emit other grains so and eventually they may end up full paleo with no grain so it uh just depends. So the you, one is not one message for everybody. It's uh, an understanding of everybody for what suits them the best. Yeah, sure thing. All right. Well, uh, I'm back here with Dr. Rodney Ford, who is a pediatrician, gastroenterologist, and allergist with more than 30 years of clinical experience. And he has a very long bio that I don't want to waste our time reading because I'll let him tell us about all of the great things that he's doing uh, with the work of gluten sensitivity. And he is the author of a few books that we're going to get into today. So uh, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Evan. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so people will notice the accent. So uh, you just told me you're from New Zealand. Have you been there your whole life? I better get the accent thing out of the way. I'm a New Zealand person now, but I was born in England, went to Australia. I've been to England quite a lot of my research, and I've traveled around Australia. But I've been in New Zealand now for the last 25 years, and that's my home, and that's where I've done most of my gluten studies. That's great. So I guess is your your practice, do you have a, a private practice there in New Zealand? Yes, I do. I'm private practice only now, pediatric gastroenterology. That's people's sore tummies and funny gut and also allergy, especially eczema. And over the last 30 years, I've been associate professor of pediatrics and run the gastroenterology and allergy services at the Department of Pediatrics at Christchurch Hospital. And I decided in the end that I could serve my community better if I went to do private pediatrics where I could see 
more people with less interference with people who don't believe that food and health are related. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you say that because I saw a post on the internet someone had posted and they said the first thing when you get to the vet, they say, well, what is your dog or your pet eating? And our healthcare system unfortunately doesn't operate like that. You know, the doctors should be asking, what what are you eating first before anything else? But it doesn't work that way yet. I would agree because what we eat matters. And I have a little saying that every mouthful matters. It either will help you or not help you when you eat the wrong or the right food. Nothing is neutral. And it is important to understand that what we eat builds us to who we are. And most people eat the wrong foods and most people are sick and half of the population is overweight, many obese, lots of people have inflammatory diseases and so many of the ill health that we see in the population today in your family, my family, our relations, it's food related. Yeah, what do you think the biggest problem we're facing on, uh, you know, at least... uh developed countries, what do you think the biggest problem that we're facing is right now as far as food or, or health or whatever your mind goes to? Well, my mind goes to gluten and sugar and those two things. I'm surprised I got to that stage because 30 years ago when I started out in pediatrics, I started looking at food allergy because I saw a lot of children who were sick, tired and irritable with bad skin and their mums were recognizing that food allergy or certainly egg and milk allergy were causing their child ill. But most pediatricians didn't believe in food allergy at all and lots of medical professionals still do not believe in food allergy. However, my experience was that milk and egg cause a lot of problems and I spent 10 years looking at milk allergy and slowly it dawned on me that Wheat and gluten were much more serious than egg and milk allergy. And over the last 20 years, I've been researching gluten allergy, gluten intolerance, gluten syndrome, gluten-related disorders, all the same names are the same thing. And I reckon that at least one in 10 people have got symptoms from eating gluten and that at least one in three people will end up with a gluten-related illness. Wow. So how much does gluten affect your mental well-being? (laughs) Even that's a straight bullet to the heart, that question, or bullet to the brain, because (laughs) it's shown that gluten is certainly neurotoxic. That means that gluten can interfere with the brain, can interfere with how you think, cause confusion. In children, we see attention deficit disorder and autism, often triggered by gluten, behavior disturbance, learning disorders, chronic headaches and migraines, and then adults complain about foggy brain, that they can't think properly, and then there is association with epilepsy, another neurological thing, peripheral neuropathy, that's when your arms and legs don't work so well, sensory neuropathy, where you get tingling in your hands and feet, or or pain patches, or... or um, loss of feeling in your hands and legs, those sort of things. And there's a thing called gluten ataxia, where people are wobbly, they don't have a very steady gait, they don't walk well, they fall over, they feel dizzy. So those sort of things. is, And the neurologists who are interested in gluten, they recommend that anybody with any neurological symptom that has not been adequately diagnosed should look at gluten as the precipitating factor for their neurological disease. So that's pretty stunning. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I mean, I've noticed a a difference in the way I look at the world. I feel like I was looking at the world through a a dirty pane of glass or something when I was... That's a good description. Yeah. Mm. So So your thought, your clarity of thought is shattered. And people are on antidepressants. They even admitted to psychiatric hospitals... They take these um, um, Prozac, the long-term antidepressant medications, which have got significant health side effects. And it's easy to pop a pill, but it's not so easy for some people to change their food, especially if they haven't been 
diagnosed or they haven't been their minds haven't been open to the possibility that food is causing their neurological and psychological problems the i've got a friend who's got uh, um polar problem that's the manic psychosis up and down and that's also been associated with gluten sensitivity so has schizophrenia so these di- psychiatric diagnoses that people have maybe it's a symptom again of gluten intolerance gluten sensitivity gluten related disorder so just because you've got a diagnosis given to you doesn't mean to say that gluten is not part of the problem aggravating it or making it worse yeah so the question that pops in my head is if we remove gluten from the diet does this sort of insanity that we may feel like we're going through, can that go away permanently? Will we have symptoms of, you know, say manic depression that pop back into our lives under stress? Or, um... Well, Evan, that is a very curly question. I mentioned before, I've written a book, this uh, Gluten Zero Global book, and I wrote that last year. I was challenged to write a book which brought together the information from the medical research about gluten and how it affects the population. Now, if you smoke, do you, are you smoke a smoker even? Never. No, never. No. Well, that's what we would expect to hear from you. But one in three, one in four people still smoke. And when they start smoking, they get a few symptoms. They get a bit of coughing and nausea, but they keep on smoking. They become addicted. And after 10 years of smoking, they may be coughing a bit. After 20 years, they might be coughing a lot. After 30 years, they've got heart disease, lung disease, maybe lung cancer, skin disease, disease anywhere in their body. But it takes that time, 30 years, to develop maybe 40 years. And during that time, people progressively get sick, but they don't really notice that they're going downhill. And my mum-in-law, who's passed away now because of smoking probably, she used to say, smoking doesn't harm me at all, Rodney. And she could hardly walk to the corner. She was breathless. She coughed. And she she just didn't recognize that she had smoking-related symptoms. Now, with gluten, it's an inflammatory protein. We don't digest it properly. And as we eat it, it causes um, subtle harm. And when we're talking about neurological disease and psychiatric disease, by the time you've got enough damage in your head to get significant symptoms of, say, psychosis, say, depression, say, ataxia, then it may be too late to switch off the gluten inflammation. The disease process might already be so established in your brain that you cannot stop it. And if I said and we don't have the data for this, but people are talking about Alzheimer's, if you knew for certain that a food you ate was going to cause you memory loss and dementia when you were in your 60s and 70s and 80s, you would likely avoid it. Not everybody, just like smoking. Some people continue to smoke despite the fact that they're going to die from it. But if you've got a pretty good idea that a food you're eating is going to cause you significant harm and it is easy to avoid it, then you would avoid it. And the data is slowly accumulating that gluten is one of these foods. Well, that's a pretty terrifying statement that it may be too late. So is there anything that you can do, you know, like supplement-wise as far as maybe adding in some additional omega-3 supplements or krill oil or something like that to sort of heal some of the the inflammation and damage to the brain? Yeah, well, that's an excellent idea and definitely, and I take a supplement, I'm sure you do too, I take the essential fatty acids and uh, various minerals, vitamins, and there is good data to show that that helps, but it is a bit like taking vitamins when you're smoking. It may help a bit, but really the biggest thing you're going to do in your health is quit smoking. And with one in 10 people symptomatic from gluten, and remember, gluten intolerance has only really been properly researched over the last few years, and until 10 years ago, any gluten-related disorder, including celiac disease, was basically denied in North America. So there's only been 10 years of celiac research and only a couple of years of gluten sensitivity research. So 
the gluten land is there to be discovered. It's yet to be the soil turned over and stones looked under. We don't know how bad the problem is. And maybe I'm overstating it, but the data so far looks bad. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, the, the, the wheat harvest in 2013 last year was down. There's less wheat being sold. People are going off wheat in the hundreds of thousands, in fact, in the millions, and going for alternative grains. And why would they do that? They don't do it because they think it's fun. They don't do it because it's fad or the, the right thing to do. They feel better. These millions of people who are quitting wheat, quitting gluten, are feeling symptomatically better. They feel a whole heap better on a gluten-free diet. Yeah, I certainly do. I mean, I notice even just one time of adding it back in somewhere, I may experience something. It may not be anything crazy, but I definitely notice a difference. So I guess how long have you been uh, gluten-free, or are you grain-free also? Or I've been gluten-free for 10 years now. I've adopted a gluten-free lifestyle for several reasons. The first reason is that all my research on gluten shows it's a bad protein, that we don't absorb it properly. Nobody can digest gluten. It just is eaten and passes through us and pooped out. So it's a waste of time eating it anyway. The second thing, it is toxic. It is an inflammatory protein, and you can get inflammation anywhere in the body. Thirdly, it is addictive. It causes when it's digested or, or changed the gluten in the liver into a morphine-like substance. It's called gluteomorphine, like morphine, an opiate. And some people are more proficient at producing these opiate-like substances. And that means that when you eat bread, you get a high, and then after a few hours, you really want to hoe into another donut or another bagel or another waffle, or another pancake, and you get this addiction to gluten. And of course, when you eat gluten-related foods, you often have a spread on them, like maple syrup, or maybe a jelly, grape jelly, or you have sugar-coated donuts. So there is a lot of sugar that goes along with eating gluten-related foods. So that's the, I'm up to three, and then I've got the gene. I carry the, a genetic code that makes me much more susceptible to getting gluten sensitivity in the future. I've got two children who are gluten sensitive. They found out they were gluten sensitive from my researchers. They said that they had the symptoms. We did their blood test. You had a, they had a positive blood test. They have been off gluten now for about eight years. They're zero gluten and they are remarkably better. And if they have small amounts of gluten, they get sick. And then the fifth reason is because I deal with gluten every day in my clinic. I do gluten tests. I expect my patients to go gluten free. And it would be hypocritical if I remained eating gluten knowing what I do and I was putting all these people on gluten-free diets. So my experience of gluten-free can help me easily guide people onto a gluten-zero diet without problems. So those are the reasons I'm gluten-zero, and I'm not going to eat any gluten whatsoever throughout my whole long life. That sounds great. So do you eat any kind of rice or anything like that? Yes, I do. I do eat other grains. I eat quinoa, rice, corn not GMO corn. New Zealand is very fortunate to be protected from genetic modified foods. And I eat some oats at times. There's a discussion about oats and whether or not oats are related to gluten. They are slightly, but most people who are gluten sensitive can eat oats, but not all. And there are what's called storage proteins which gluten is a storage protein in wheat. There are storage proteins in all grains, and some of those can make some people sick. Yeah, I'll tell you, Mr. Ford, you all have some good butter down there in, in New Zealand. I've seen some New Me Zealand too. butter, and uh, it's good stuff. Is the, uh, the grass-fed 
beef thing has it really taken over New Zealand? I mean, I'm, is there more health consciousness than you would see here in the United States? Definitely more health consciousness. However, the lamb and the beef is almost all grass-fed. That has been the tradition in New Zealand. The cows are out in the meadows, out in the pastures, eating grass. At the very end of their lives, they're sometimes topped up with grain, but mostly they're pasture-fed. Whilst I know that in the USA that the majority of cows are fattened up in feedlots, given lots of grains, there's a big debate as to whether or not grain-fed beef carries any gluten. It shouldn't. But there are some people who say that they can eat pasture-fed or grass-fed beef easily without problems, but when they eat grain-fed beef, they get sick. I don't think there's been any studies about that, but some people are very strong on that. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you think about that because some people either A, maybe they don't have time or the resources to seek out uh, you know, a local farmer or some sort of grass-fed beef source here, and or maybe just financially it's not possible. So in that case, I guess, would you still recommend a grain-fed beef rather than no beef, or what's your take on that? I don't really have a recommendation. I hear it from both sides. Uh, I, don't, I haven't seen any research papers on it, and it would be unlikely that you would get gluten in the meat. But if the cow is gluten intolerant and has immune complex disease and has a a gluten-related illness, then you would get what's called immune complexes of gluten and the antibody, and that can be deposited anywhere in the cow, including in the muscle. And that would be an inflammatory activity in the muscle. So it is possible, but I haven't seen any data on it, and I don't know any research project on it. But if any of your listeners have got data for that, I'd be incredibly interested to hear. Yeah, yeah. The main thing that I that I see just on charts and graphs scattered across the internet is just the the huge amount of omega six fat that is in the grain fed cows versus the grass fed. I mean, you're getting a lot more omega three, supposedly almost as much as a wild caught salmon in a grass fed cow, which is pretty unbelievable. Mm, exactly. Yeah, I've seen uh, a few different studies linking to it. It's uh, it's crazy now just because there's so much ocean pollution going on that I'm, you know, kind of avoiding seafood at this point. And, uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. A lot of people are. Fortunately, in New Zealand, we haven't yet got the nuclear waste contamination of our fisheries. Yeah. Is there is there any news coverage there about that whole situation? Because the, the, you know, the mainstream media here has not gave it one one peep of, of, uh, of discussion. No, it's not on the radar here, but health-conscious people are well aware of it and are not going to buy North Pacific salmon. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. So I want to talk more about mental function when it comes to food because it really fascinates me. When you look at people and you think someone is the way they are, you know, you say, oh, that's just Johnny, you know, that's just the Mm, way he mm, is. These people may not really be themselves. They may not have found themselves yet because of this inflammation that could be going on in the brain. Is that a, a safe statement to make? That's a very safe statement to make, Evan, because people who have had symptoms for a very long time and children who have always been irritable or cranky, as you say, they say that's just Norman or that's just Johnny. And nobody drifts into a gluten zero diet. You have to do it deliberately because most children eat gluten at every mealtime. And there aren't very good tests to diagnose these children. And even if there were good tests, the GPs and the health professionals are not testing these children. But the best way to know if you're gluten intolerant is to go off gluten for three to six months and see if you get better. But that's a big ask in many families, and people like a test before they embark on that sort of thing. And there just is not the consciousness that gluten and other foods, obviously a lot of sugar, can significantly affect mood and attention. I see children with attention deficit disorder in my clinic 
see them once a week or so. And some of those I put on medication, the methylphenidate, but I test them all for gluten. And I find that in probably half of the children who have this condition that when we take them off gluten, we can either reduce their medication or take them off entirely. And it does take time. Once you've got somebody with a behavior disturbance, they've learned how to behave to their parents and their peers for years. And it isn't just overnight you take them off gluten and they suddenly get better. It takes six months to a year because they've got to relearn their thinking and they've got to relearn how they behave. But the parents often say when a child goes gluten zero, they say, Dr. Ford, I've got my child back. Oh, they say, it's a miracle. It's a different child. I just love to hear the parents come back and then they have a different relationship with their child and the teachers are happy. They come home with certificates of achievement from school. It's just a wonderful thing to see these children who've been in trapped in gluten brains to go gluten zero and then suddenly or over the next few weeks or months become a shining beautiful child yeah so when you remove gluten say someone ate gluten today you remove it tomorrow will you i guess in effect you can can you measure that healing that occurs there i mean is it I think that's what people, maybe why people give up on this whole thing is because, I don't know, at least here in the United States, I'm going to guess maybe New Zealand also, people are instant. We like instant results. That's right. And so if I don't get results right now after cutting out gluten, Dr. Ford, I'm going to be mad at you because you're promising all these results here and, <laughs> and, and you know, it didn't happen. So I guess, um, I guess basically people just need to kind of, not be a sissy when it comes to this whole thing and just really stick it out. Is that the best That's thing right. to say? Well, well the, the first thing is that not all illness and not all brain disease and not all inflammation is due to gluten. That's the first thing to say. So it's not a wonder diet, but it turns out that at least in my calculations, a third of the population with chronic illness, that is depression, irritability, headaches, migraine, reflux, it's gastric reflux, abdominal pain, regurgitation, diarrhea, constipation, and then the neurological symptoms that we've talked about, and then the skin disease, eczema especially, but psoriasis as well. All these things can be associated with gluten. And most people with chronic symptoms, that means symptoms going on for months and months, years and years, if they haven't got a diagnosis, then it is likely that a high proportion of these people will have a gluten-related disorder, and you can do blood tests for that. But the, as we talked about before, people get used to being unwell when they go off gluten. It can take a child a few weeks to get better, an adolescent a few months to get better, and adults a few years to get better sometimes. So it's not an overnight thing. Just like smoking. If you quit smoking today, you're not suddenly going to reduce your lung cancer risk. It's going to take five years of being smoke-free before you can say that you're a non-smoker with non-smoker risks. So it's a deliberate thing you have to, to take on board. And so you need to know a whole heap about other foods. And gluten-free is not a diet just removing gluten. I've just been on a vacation. I've been to a few hotels and they, some of them have do what's called a gluten-free option and say it's a soup, gluten-free option. It's the soup, which is gluten-free without the bread, without the roll. That's not a gluten-free option. That's the meal without gluten. You need to be able to replace foods, gluten foods, with other nutritious and high-value foods. It's not a subtraction diet. Yeah. Anyway, once you get to get onto a gluten zero diet, it can take many, many months to get better. And with eczema, I see a lot of children with severe eczema or eczema, and these children can take six months to a year to heal on a gluten-free diet. And that's because the gluten complexes, when you eat gluten and you're allergic to it or intolerant to it, the immune system grabs the gluten and tries to get it out of the system, but it can't very easily do that. And it often deposits the 
gluten with the antibody called an immune complex into the skin. And the skin gets itchy and eczematous. And it takes a long time for those immune complexes to get out of the skin. You have basically have to shed your skin. If you're a snake, you could shed your skin in one go. But humans, we shed our skin cell by cell. And it takes quite a long time, maybe a year, before you've got rid of all the gluten complexes in your skin. And I believe that that is why it takes so long for some people to get better gluten-free for the eczema. Yeah, you mentioned that you like to talk about sugar a lot too. So we have to bring this point up here because a lot of the gluten-free stuff is basically removing gluten and adding sugar as far exactly. as, as far as I've seen. And so can you just talk about what a real gluten-free diet actually looks like? Because we've been confused with these gluten-free cookies, crackers, gluten-free chips, you know, gluten-free... I don't know, gluten-free silly items to remind you of the cupcakes you used to eat and stuff like that. Yes, gluten-free cupcakes. Well, these in small quantities are fine, but if you, the two things that happen, people will swap a gluten-free cupcake, a, a, a glutened cupcake for a gluten-free cupcake. It's just as unhealthy. It has the sugar and fat in it that you don't really need. I like to talk about one-ingredient foods. If you buy a banana, that's a one-ingredient food. An apple is a one-ingredient food. A potato is a one-ingredient food. If you buy anything that's not in a packet, then that is a one-ingredient food. And if you make your food from these one-ingredient foods from scratch, then you're going to be very healthy and you're going to be on the best food. It does cost more money, but that is the problem that is your problem you've got to have you, you've got to spend food, money on food and you need to spend high you need to spend a little bit more money on high quality food if you want a high quality life nobody wants to be average everyone wants to be above average but you can't be above average if you eat average food or below average food if it's in a packet it's been messed with and usually it's got a heap of ingredients in it and all of those additives, colorings, preservatives, they're unnecessary for your diet. They're okay. They're put in there for the manufacturer's shelf life. If it's been manufactured in a factory, it could have cross-contamination with other grains and gluten. And I find that when people go gluten zero, they begin to look at food labels. They begin to examine their food. They begin to think about what they're eating and they become conscious of gluten and eventually, they begin to quit packet food, and then they become healthy. And you might attribute quite a bit of the benefit of a gluten-free diet to the improved eating habits, improved vegetables, improved fruit, improved fish, improved meat cuts, and reduction of junk food. And because you're now gluten zero, you don't have the addictive nature of gluten, so you don't get that drive, you don't get that terrible hunger that you've had before, that desperation to eat a loaf of bread, that goes away and it's very much easier than to eat a healthy diet. So please avoid most packet foods. Yeah, definitely. All right, now here's the here's the million dollar question. All right. Say you're starting from ground zero or say you're not. Say you are you've been in this gluten free game for a while but the overwhelming stress of of life and trying to avoid all of these obstacles that you constantly have to avoid out in the real world, there's always mm. signs flashing at you. Come on, Dr. Ford, eat this, drink this, do this, do this. How do you do proper stress management when it comes to operating in reality that's not suited for your health? <laughs> that is difficult. I go back to the smoking thing. Remember that a while ago we could advertise cigarettes and a lot of people smoked and it was shown as a good lifestyle. And the successful people who quit smoking, they believe themselves as a non-smoker or a former smoker. They're no longer a quit smoker. They're no longer a smoker. So they don't use that term anymore. If people use the term, I'm gluten zero, that gives a message. I've found that gluten-free is misunderstood. 
they're free to eat as much gluten as makes them sick or or as least gluten as they can get away with. Gluten-free has got a strange connotation because free tends to tell us that you're free to do something <laughs> or something might be free of gluten. But we want to talk about zero. So I've been speaking about zero for the last two years. And if people, first of all, say, well, I'm gluten zero, that tells their friends, their neighbors, their wait staff that that is their status, zero gluten. So it's not okay to be cross-contaminated with anything else. Then once you begin to feel better on a gluten zero diet, most people I find avoid gluten as much as possible, but everybody does get what we call gluten. They do get symptoms from gluten inadvertently, and that's a learning thing. It also um, reminds the person that gluten is something to avoid and they will be more strenuous to avoid it later on. It's difficult in restaurants, difficult when you're out at a shared meal, difficult when you go out to dinner with somebody and people don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to make a fuss. They don't want to bring attention to their special diet. But I'd like people to be proud of gluten zero, be proud of what you're eating and you could be a role model for people eating good food for good health. You don't have to adopt the average. You don't have to be dragged down by your friends and colleagues who are eating pizzas, eating gluten pasta, and eating the gluten bagels, those sort of things. You do not have to be part of that. You can be proud of that you are on a, your own, not necessarily health kick, but your health journey. And people will respect you if you stand up for it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. So what's your what's your uh, ten minute lazy caveman meal when you come home from a long day at the office and you have to make something? Okay, well the first thing is if I'm really hungry, I'll eat a banana. We always have bananas. In fact, New Zealanders eat more bananas per head of population than any other country in the world we hear, which is interesting. But a banana is good food, although there are some, some people obviously are allergic to banana. They get sick from banana, but that is an easy thing or a piece of fruit. So that's the first thing that I do if I'm starving in between patients in, in clinics. Okay. What what we have for lunch is a salad. We don't, And it's usually grain-free, sometimes a bit of uh, cold rice, but usually salad. That's lettuce. We have maybe some cold ham and you've got to make sure that the ham or the um, progetta or the, the meat is not cured with gluten and sometimes we have some smoked salmon, ours is uh, nuclear free and we would have some almonds with that and maybe some tomato some avocado that sort of thing we would have that regularly every day for lunch and then the evening meal, we tend to have mostly vegetables. We have a little bit of meat, a bit of lean meat, often fish, but often a vegetarian meal. And with that, we have sometimes a bit of rice, sometimes quinoa, sometimes potato, but not a lot of carbohydrate. We want to keep the carbohydrate down. And for breakfast, we usually have fruit and a gluten-free muesli, and we would have sometimes uh, some soy on that, GMO-free soy, and maybe a little bit of dairy or maybe a bit of yogurt. And what we find is that when we're gluten zero, we eat less, and our weights have gone down over the 10 years. We're not gaining weight. We're not obese. We're not as hungry. We don't have as much sugar. We don't have that sugar kick, and we feel a lot better. But you do have to think ahead because if you – and by the way, we don't have any gluten in the household whatsoever. So whatever we eat in our house is gluten zero because we don't buy any gluten products. So that's easy. And again, for people going gluten zero, if the whole household is gluten zero, it's very easy. Yeah, and if it's not, then it's a hell of a time to get the, the husband or the wife or the kids on board sometimes. It's very hard sometimes, and my experience is that the dads are much more reluctant to adopt or even 
um, support the idea of gluten zero. I've just been doing results today. I've just gone through my clinic and one little child, her name's uh, Megan, and unfortunately, she's got this condition, celiac disease, where gluten damages the intestine. She's been gluten-free for the last 18 months, and the last lot of blood tests show that her gut is not healing. And the reason for that is that her parents are separated. Her mum is strictly gluten-free with her, but Megan is fed gluten products by dad, who isn't supportive of the condition, who isn't supportive of the diet, who's can't really be bothered, and doesn't really recognize that gluten is causing severe harm to Megan's gut. And that is sad. And I've spoken to dad on the phone, but he just doesn't believe the, the diagnosis. So that's sad. And I see that quite a bit that especially in separated families, that one parent who's taking the lead role on the diet is undermined by the other parent who gives the child gluten. Yeah, that is a rough spot. Now, when it comes to trying to heal people's guts that come into your place, um, are you adding in glutamine and other supplements to these to these people to try to speed up the the healing process of just rebuilding that gut and could you absolutely if if they've if they've Go been ahead. sick if they've got gut damage definitely they will have been missing out on vitamin supplementation over the they will be malabsorbing the vitamins and they need more vitamins and minerals to help them recover but I also give them a probiotic. I think that it's essential for people to have the appropriate bacteria, the good bacteria in their guts. And it's been shown that if you give supplements of probiotics, that that helps reduce the leaky gut type situation that people find themselves in. Gluten has been shown to cause inflammation in the gut and leaky bowel. So if you're eating gluten, you're inflaming the bowel and therefore you're not absorbing often the minerals, vitamins that you should from your food naturally. Yeah. So is there a list of things that you add in normally along with glutamine? Well, we don't market anything in particular and we get people onto a high-quality multivitamin mineral supplement. But uh, I don't want to talk about brand names, but... We need micronutrients, and if we don't get them, and people who have been on a poor nutrient diet for years and years before they come to see us, they will be low in all of these things. If you do blood tests, you can't really tell whether you are deficient or not in these vitamins and minerals because the blood does such a good job in getting the levels reasonable, but it's the tissue lack of some of these vitamins and minerals that we have to supplement. A lot of people are vitamin D deficient as well, which is a crucial vitamin. And so often vitamin D supplementation with the appropriate essential fatty acids is important. Yeah. So do you uh, do you recommend adding in a vitamin K2 also along with that vitamin D? Well, yes. So, well, we would give people mostly a multivitamin mineral supplement, which has everything in it. Yeah. Because it's hard to say who's what, what's particularly down or up, right. and you, the body will, if you give an excess amount of it, the, and not you don't want to give mega doses, but if you give an excess amount of some vitamin or mineral, the body will deal with that, and it's better to have a little bit more than a bit too less. Yeah, that's a good point. Because see, some people are anti multivitamin because they say, oh, you may have too much selenium, or you may add too much copper and too much zinc, and then you start having imbalances there. But you think that that may be a, a minor thing to worry about? Well, if you just give, say if you give zinc, your copper will go down. If you just give iron, your zinc will go down. So if you just give one type of mineral, it's going to upset the balance more than if you give a wide array of them. You've got to be careful with not giving too much iron to adults. So that's something we, we, you don't need to give too much of. And there's data to show you don't want to give too much calcium. People have probably been taking too much calcium. Calcium has been associated with quite a lot of diseases. So you've got to, you don't want to take a whole bunch of things willy-nilly or without thought. And don't just take uh, 
take bottles off the pharmacy counter because you want something for your liver and something for your heart and something for your bones because most of these multivitamin preparations are much the same and you don't want to overdose on them. Yeah, so when it comes to iron, say someone is coming from like an anemic kind of background and you're adding iron back in, mm. well, all of a sudden your your symptoms go away and then you'll just know that you don't need to supplement iron anymore or how does that process happen? Yeah, what I would do blood tests, if, if people are significantly low in iron, and I, every single person who I see in my clinic who will go on a gluten zero diet will have a series of blood tests first up. We want to check they don't have celiac disease. We want to check that they see how high their what's called gluten antibodies are. I want to look at their blood counts and see what, if they're anemic or not and what the iron and vitamin D st- status is, the vitamin B and folate levels are. We often do their celiac gene. We look at their thyroid levels usually. And some children, if they're not growing well, we look at their growth hormone. So we, I do a wide range of blood tests prior to embarking on a gluten-free diet because I need to know what their nutritional status is and their celiac status. And then once you've got that data and you go through this with the parents, then the parents get that the child is sick, that there are imbalances and that you need to do something. And people like to start off with some investigations. So the people who go gluten-free without any tests or without any guidance beforehand usually won't stay gluten zero. They, they need some help. They need some sort of guidance in dealing with their ill health. Because just another point is that the body's not very clever at producing symptoms. When we feel unwell, we feel sick, tired, and grumpy. In fact, I wrote a book on that. I called it, uh, there it is, the, the book for the sick, tired, and grumpy. And that's a book that I wrote after the first book I wrote on this called The Gluten Syndrome. And I wrote the book Sick, Tired, and Grumpy because I wanted to point out that most people who are gluten uh, damaged, who are ill from gluten, don't have uh, major red alert symptoms. They are tired. They've got some sort of sickness, be it a tummy trouble or headache. And they're irritable. They're grumpy and cr- cranky. And those symptoms are so general that you could have that with a flu, with a cough, with a cold, with a bang on the head, um, with uh, other illnesses, even with cancers, have got the same sort of symptoms. So the symptoms are nonspecific. So we're talking about people with nonspecific illnesses who are chronically under the weather, and those people very frequently need blood tests for gluten. If they've got a positive gluten blood test, definitely go gluten-free. If they've got a negative gluten blood test, then they still could be gluten intolerant because the blood tests aren't that great. And the best way to know if you're gluten intolerant is to go zero gluten for three to six months. Okay. Well, here's a here's a question. Since we look back at our, our, our ancient ancestors and we see maybe, you know, of course – who knows? Maybe we'll never know the answer. But supposedly, we would have worked, say, two to three hours a day, you know, gathering, hunting and gathering our food. And then for the rest of the time, we would have just been hanging out and playing games and having fun and teaching our children and stuff like that. But now we're shoved into this uh, 40-hour work week. Is it 40 hours there in New Zealand also? Is that standard? Yeah, 35, 40 hours, yes. Okay. So so now we're shoved into that. So while a gluten-free or gluten-zero diet may help with some of this grumpiness and stuff like that, do you still think that we can function in this, uh, I guess you would call it a rat race, and still maintain a sense of, uh, of vitality and energy? Or do you think that ultimately this lifestyle wears you down regardless of your, your gluten consumption? Yeah, well, people are worn down, and there is this great, uh, ambition to collect a lot of stuff a car, house new furniture and there seems to be a great pressure to keep up with the social classes and that is stressful and I've written another book called The Energy Effect and a lot of it's to do with how you see the world and what your priorities are 
And if your priorities are getting a bigger car and a bigger house and uh, more furniture and uh, more money in your bank, then you're probably never going to be happy. And you, you'll be on this uh, rat race, on this uh, wheel, going round and round faster and faster and faster. If your ideals are to eat well and keep excellent health and keep good relationships with your spouse or your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your children, your aunt, your uncle, your grandparents, your parents. And if you work on those relationships, then the, your other life trying to create income will give you a much better perspective. So really, that tiredness, that sort of stress thing is how you orientate yourself in this world because it is a rat race and the materialistic world that we all live in does cause a lot of pressure and those sort of pressures are not going to go away when you go gluten zero but if you are functioning a lot better if you're thinking more clearly if you feel more energy if you can get in a couple more hours of work or play and if you're not grumpy with your kids because you feel happy if you're not depressed not and uh, you are feeling uh, happier if you're sleeping better because you're not depressed all those sort of things you will cope a lot better but the big thing in life, I think, is not accumulating stuff. It is accumulating good experiences, worthwhile friends, and loved ones. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I uh, hopefully will come to New Zealand one day and add that to my list of experiences. I, uh, I need to get out of the United States and, and get that different <laughs> perspective, I think. I mean, I have a different perspective already, but I really think it might accelerate that if I get to... Uh, Look back, look back at us. Does do it, does everybody in New Zealand think that we're silly and crazy here? <laughs> a lot of people do. We've had an interesting experience in Christchurch, like you had in San Francisco a while ago. We had a big earthquake three years ago, and everybody in Christchurch is a population of about half a million. Have got cracks in the walls and broken houses. They're Dinner sets are broken. They've only got three cups and four saucers, and the wine glasses are mismatched, and the roads are bumpy. And everybody's gone through a period of losing their stuff, of breaking their stuff. And there's not uh, that big competition anymore. People accept everybody as not that much stuff or broken stuff, or you need your house patched up. And there is a sort of equalizing thing, and nobody seems to be that stressed at trying to recover back onto the wealth wheel and acceptance of uh, not a lower lifestyle but it doesn't ha life doesn't have to be perfect and I think that's the lesson that we've learned over this last three years that in an imperfect life we are imperfect as humans and there's a lovely saying that we're all like cracked eggs the cracks let the light through and so we can see more clearly. And we're all cracked eggs here in Christchurch. And everybody in the United States are cracked eggs. But people try and plaster over the cracks and pretend they're perfect and do this and be the super mums, the super dads, the super children and excel and be perfect and have the perfect house, perfect car. It's just an ideal. It's just a dream chasing the pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. You'll never get there. So it's a matter of putting the brakes on and really concentrating on the things that are important. And the number one thing that's important in everybody's life is their health. If you're not healthy, you can't enjoy your spouse, you can't enjoy your children, you can't enjoy your home. And if you want to remain healthy, you've got to eat healthy. And eating healthy, in my mind, is quitting gluten. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of wisdom in there. I, uh, I don't have too much time left with you, but I wanted to quickly ask you about fear and anxiety and how that may relate to either a diet uh just general life paralysis caused by fear and anxiety and and how you recommend people may cope with that yeah that's a tricky question I, I can tell you a story about my daughter liz she is gluten sensitive and she had a lot of symptoms and she used to always or frequently say dad i feel so anxious i don't know why and when we diagnosed her and she went off gluten, that was one of the first symptoms that disappeared, her anxiety. And she said, Dad, I don't feel anxious anymore. That's great. And it 
again, where do you get anxiety? Well, you, it's a brain thing. And if you get inflammatory activity in the brain in the anxiety area, you're going to feel anxious. And so that is an interesting experience from her and, and from my clinic. But the, it depends what people are anxious about. And if you're anxious to get more money or you're anxious to get another car and those sort of things, you're always going to be anxious because you want to keep up. People... Uh, it's a matter of loving yourself, isn't it? And learning to live with yourself and living to learn that nobody really cares who you look like or what you're doing or what you're eating. Most people are concentrating on their own lives, that what people are thinking about me, what um, they, they're easily embarrassed. They don't want to embarrass themselves. They want to make sure that they conform with everyone else. But in my experience, I'm in my wisdom, I suppose, as I go through the decades, that not many people care about what shoes you've got on or what uh, hat you're wearing or what suit you're wearing. And this is, if you aren't wearing the right suit, nobody really minds. And if you're in a circumstance where people do mind, well, maybe you should change the circumstance that you're living in because the suit or the handbag or the shoes or the car you drive is just what you drive. It's not, if you're anxious because you haven't got the right kit and the right stuff then it's a mindset problem yeah that's a how did you get so much wisdom how old are you dr ford if you don't mind me asking <laughs> well i'm 64 and i've seen a lot of kids a lot of families and a lot of strife and i know that the most important things in our lives are really our families and our relationships with them yeah i absolutely agree yeah now uh, do you ever take or recommend supplements for anxiety, such as things that alter your neurotransmitters. I'm talking, you know, GABA and uh, and some of these natural amino acid supplementation and things like that, because that's really popular, and I get asked about it all the time. Well, I'm a pediatrician, and my um, clients are, or customers are children up to the age of about 14, 15. So really that anxiety thing isn't uh, a big thing in my clinic. So the answer is no, I don't supplement. But I know there are some useful supplements that you can take and you're talking about them. Yeah, good point. Good point. Okay, awesome. Well, if there's anything else that uh, any more words of wisdom you want to leave us with, please do and uh, give us your website and uh, the information where we can find all your books. Well, the easiest thing is to go to my website, and if you want my books um, and the links to them, they're on the website, and it's a very easy website. It's Dr. D.R. Rodney Ford, R-O-D-N-E-Y-F-O-R-D.com. Dr. Rodney Ford.com will find me. And if you can't remember that, just look up Dr. Rodney Ford on Google, and uh, I'll show up. And I'll be very happy to answer questions. If you want to have a diagnostic help, and you're just beginning to look into these issues. I've got an electronic clinic called the E-Clinic, and that will help you through a whole lot of questions. And there's a small fee for that. It's about $9. And you can go through that, answer a whole lot of questions, and I give you some advice based on that. You don't talk to me uh, specifically, but I've developed this computer algorithm to help people through the idea of gluten intolerance and food allergy. So... One in three people will eventually be intolerant to gluten. One in five people has some sort of a food allergy. These are the most common chronic ailments that people suffer from, and you need to get that sorted. Great. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, we'll definitely be in touch again. You're one of my favorite people to talk to, and the accent makes it more fun, and it... Uh,
I don't know. It makes me listen better when, when I'm talking to someone with a cool accent. So thanks for well, your thank time. Thank you, Evan. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and look forward to having another chat later. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank you. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool. Kiss a girl good night and then he leaves her. She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible rules. Why I'm in the tire, got to watch out, girl. Don't wanna see her cry her eyes out, girl. Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting. Let me be the one that loves you better.